Well, good morning, faith family. If you got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, as you can probably hear in my voice. Um, I think I got one more left in me, all right? I'm going to give you everything I got, all right? And uh, I, I will make a deal, right? If you'll be engaged and fired up, I'll give you every last bit of voice I have, okay? Got it? I was going to do that anyways, but I figured I might as well get something from you. Um, we've been in a series uh, called The Grace Parade, talking about uh, the radical and amazing grace of God. And every single week, it's just more and more amazing, this grace that God has for us. Uh, from time to time, I like to share uh, an email, uh, a testimony of what God is doing in the life of someone in our faith family. I got this several emails this week, but one I want to share with you. It says, the grace prayed has really impacted me. I'm 22 years old. I'm a senior in college, graduating in May. I've been pursuing job after job, but no luck. Met with rejection after rejection. At 20 years old, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. It took me eight months to get through 12 rounds of chemo and 15 radiation treatments. While others my age were pursuing their dreams, I was trying to make it through the next treatment. This past Sunday, I was the perfect example of the nine lepers who did not return. I felt because I had gone through this trial that I was entitled to something. I mean, I did what I was supposed to do. Now God just simply forgot to give me my reward. I assumed I was grateful. But I could count on my fingers the amount of times I'd been in the Word. There was no song in my heart, only complaints. I've cried twice the last two years. Once was at the final radiation treatment. The second was last Sunday. Of all the people that should be grateful for every heartbeat, it's me. I'd forgotten that. I forgot what grace is and how much I've been given. Praise Him. Praise God. For his amazing grace. And that's what that series, if you're a guest with us today, that's what this series has been all about, is to remind us how gracious God has been to us. Uh, part of what I love about that testimony is it's easy to forget. As much as we know, it's easy to forget how amazing his grace is. Well, this morning, the grace parade marches right through the home of a Pharisee here in Luke chapter 7. And so if you are able to stand, I invite you to do so. For the honor of reading God's word as we look at Luke 7, beginning at verse 36. <clears throat> One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, uh, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, well, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, of whom he canceled the larger debt. 
And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, yet she has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Would you pray for me and with me now as we ask God in this moment to talk to us through his word? Let's pray. God, that's our um, heart's desire. We want to hear from you. Um, and we, we believe that these words are alive, that your spirit is alive, and that uh, you will come and teach us now in these moments. Uh, help us um, see our hearts for how they really are. And may we experience your grace again that we might express your grace to others. That's my prayer so that one name alone gets glorified today and that's the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Matt and Kim became friends in their college theater class. Matt at the time was a freshman. Uh, Kim was a 26-year-old single mom of two. Uh, Matt was a Christian. Kim really didn't have any desire whatsoever uh, of Christianity. Uh, Matt had aspirations to become a pastor, and he eventually would, and still is today. Uh, Kim just had aspirations to, to hope to be able to support her two children. And yet with all of these differences that they had in life, Matt and Kim became friends. Matt took every opportunity he could to talk to Kim about the love of God and the, the, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, but Kim didn't think that that could ever apply to her. After all, the two kids that she had, she had out of wedlock. And she was currently in an affair with a married man. But somehow Matt was able to finally convince Kim to go with him to a Christian event that one of his friends was going to be playing music at, and so she agreed. She seemed to be enjoying the experience uh, uh, throughout, the, the music she really enjoyed, everything seemed to be going well, until the speaker got up to speak. Because right out of the gate, the speaker said, today I'm going to talk to you about sex. And Matt got really nervous. Then things got even worse when the speaker used an illustration. It was an illustration that I don't know why, but several years ago it was used all the time. You may have even seen it, but the speaker took out a rose. And he asked for the rose to be passed around to everybody in the auditorium. He said, I want everybody to touch it. I want everybody to smell it. And he just passed it around. While the rose was being passed around, he went on a rant about sexual immorality and STDs and, and God's judgment upon the immoral. And he just started just raining it down until finally the rose made its way back up to the stage. By this point, it was 
broken. Some of the petals had been torn off. It was in terrible condition. And the speaker took the rose. This was his grand finale. And he said, look at this rose touched by everybody in this room. Look at this rose. Everybody's had their hands on it. Look at this rose broken. Now who would want a rose like that? Matt looked at Kim. He saw the tears in her eyes and the guilt on her face. And he knew in that moment that she had never in her life felt so judged. And Matt describes it this way. He said, everything in me, my blood started boiling, righteous anger started building, and I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs this. I wanted to say, you want to know who wants the rose? I'll tell you who. Jesus wants the rose. Have you ever felt like Kim? The circumstances of your life are probably different. Maybe not. But you have felt like Kim in that sense that you know what it's like, almost like a, the sun beating down on you. You know what it feels like when every eye is staring at you and you feel judged. Judged because your marriage didn't work out. Judged because you're the only person in your family that's still single. Judged because of the way you look and the way you dress. Judged because of the parent you are. Judged because of your ethnicity or skin color. Judged because of the money that you, met, that you make or the money you don't have. Judged because you're a Christian. You see, my guess is that at some point, at some time, in some way, you have felt the way Kim felt in that moment. You have felt judged. I want you to go there emotionally. I, I want you to feel that feeling. And do you know what, want to know why? Because if you can feel that, you know exactly how the woman in Luke 7 feels. L look at the story, beginning in verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, Luke invites us in here to a story in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's home. And there is no doubt lots of people that would have been there. In fact, we even see later on in the text the others that were around the table. So, so this would have been a big deal to eat in a Pharisee's home. And yet the story only focuses on two primary individuals with Jesus, uh, Simon and this woman. 
And that's meant to teach us something. I want you to show, I want to show you something that's very important in those two people, namely this. Jesus receives all types of people. Jesus receives all types of people. Now, let me show you that. First of all, Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's home. How many of you remember week one in this series where we talked about the significance in the ancient Near East of having a meal together? Do you remember that? Just, just do this. That way I feel really good about how much you remember things. Uh, this was a big deal. In fact, it's why the Pharisees were so outraged in Mark chapter 2. Mark 2 verse 15 says Jesus was reclined at the table in his house. The his is Levi, the tax collector. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, and there were many, that is many tax collectors and sinners, who followed him. Now watch, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with the scum of the scum? Why does he hang out with people like that? How can you eat with a Ninevite? How can you be with an enemy? How can Jesus share table fellowship as important as it is with somebody like that? Well, guess what Jesus is doing in Luke 7? He's eating with a Pharisee. Do I need to remind you what Jesus said about Pharisees? Do I need to remind you what Jesus thinks about Pharisees? Here's what he said. They're hypocrites. They're blind guides who make others children of hell. They're whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but they're full of dead men's bones. They're serpents and vipers who won't escape hell, and they are of their father, the devil. I mean, other than that, he has great things to say about Pharisees. Jesus has gone on record as to acknowledging their hypocrisy. These are hypocritical sinners. And yet, don't miss this point, Jesus will share a meal with them. Jesus will bring them into his life. Jesus receives religious sinners. Now, that's one part of the polarity. Now, look at the other part of the polarity that is the other person in the room. In verse 37 and 38, we're introduced to the woman of the city. Let's just say that phrase is not intended to, to tell you her location. This is not, where do you live? Oh, I live in the city. It's meant to describe her lifestyle. Literally, it reads, a woman of the street. In other words, she's a prostitute. Now, how in the world she got here, I have no idea. Because I can assure you of this. Simon did not invite her. There is no way he would invite somebody like that to such a prestigious event in his home. You don't want someone like that. Do you know who she is and what she's done? There is no possible way he's inviting her to this, and yet she finds her way in. And she sees Jesus reclining at the table, which would have looked like this. This is what it looked like to recline at the table. So the feet are out towards the back. And she sees Jesus reclining there. She begins to weep. I love this. What Luther calls heart water. Isn't that beautiful? You ever had heart water? 
Your heart so broken and overwhelmed that tears begin to stream. And she lets down her hair, which women were not allowed to do in public then. And she begins to wipe his feet with her hair and anoint his feet with oil. Now, you got to understand this. If you've zoned out, zone back. This puts Jesus in a very difficult situation. He's at a Pharisee's house, remember? The A-listers are there. The red carpet's been rolled out. And here comes this prostitute into the room doing this to Jesus. So how he responds to her is going to be a testimony about him. After all, do you know who she is? Do you realize what she's done? And what does Jesus say to her? Does he say, get away from me? Oh, do you know how many times you've been touched by men? Do, 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 you, know, do you know how many times that, that you've been broken? Oh, gosh, like, get away. Now, here's what he says. It's beautiful. Look at verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. He who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Write this down, faith family. Jesus in this moment is more concerned about showing grace than saving face. He doesn't give a rip what the Pharisees think about him or his ministry. Do you want to know why? She is his ministry. She is his ministry. She belongs in this grace parade. And he doesn't care what the Pharisees think. The, 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 the Pharisees would say, who would want a rose like that? Who would want someone with all of her past? And Jesus says, I do. I want that rose. Your sins are forgiven. Am, am, I, am I doing a faithful job this morning to the text? Do, do you see the polarity? That you have Simon on one hand and you've got the woman of the city on the other, which is telling us what? Jesus receives sinners from every background, whether it's religious or irreligious, pious or pagan, churchgoer, partygoer, Pharisee, prostitute. This is a grace parade and all kinds of sinners are welcome to join. Now, three people are fired up. All right, come on, let's go. Now, I had to show you that to, for you to be able to see what's next. You got to see that Jesus receives all types of people so that you can see 30, verse 39 more clearly. Look at it. Oh, this is so much fun. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, self, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. I gross, for she is a sinner. I had to show you Jesus receiving all types of people so that you can now see this. Simon only receives certain types of people. Preach, preacher. Simon doesn't approach people the way Jesus approaches people. 
Simon has an entirely different approach to her and not just her, but also Jesus. That is, uh, Simon's the kind of person that loves to sit back and judge everybody else in the room. Let me show you in at least two ways. First, he judges Jesus. He judges Jesus. Now you say, how do you know that? Well, there's two evidence in the text. The first is Simon refused to offer Jesus the three most common greetings in the ancient Near East. There were three things that everybody would do if you invited them over to your home, all right? Let me show you them in the text. Verse 44, Jesus calls them out. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no, say it, water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Verse 45, you gave me no, say it, but from the time I came, she had not ceased to kiss my feet. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with, but she anointed my feet with ointment. In other words, the three common greetings Jesus calls out uh, to Simon. Um, if you invited somebody over to your home, you would offer them water because their feet's going to be dirty. I mean, you remember even Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Uh, they're going to offer you, they're going to give you a common greeting, right, which is a, a, a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You see that in scripture. And they'll give you oil for your hair. It's likely a mess from walking around in the, uh, the dirt and, and heat. And so oil would be used. All of this is kind of to put you in kind of a calmer state. So now, you can share a meal. This is, this is basic. This is, this is what you would do with any guest. And not only that, there's more proof that Simon is not receiving Jesus, that he's judging him. In verse 39, look back at it again. Notice the if statement. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, do you see it in the text? He's been judging Jesus the whole time. He's been testing him to see if Jesus meets his standards. Well, I tell you what, I'll determine whether or not he's a real prophet. Oh, if he were a prophet, he would have done this. So clearly he's not a prophet. The entire time he's been judging Jesus. Now, can I preach for just a moment? I, I, I ain't preached yet, all right? Uh, I, I want to preach for just a moment because this reminds me of things I hear all the time. Uh, even in church, I'll hear people say something like this. And by the way, if you're here, glad that you're here, okay? But, but I want to call you out on something, Simon. Uh, people will say, I'll believe in God if he meets my standards. I'll believe in God if he answers my questions. I'll believe in God if he solves my problems. My question to you is, who do you think you are? Having things meet your standards are fine if it's a new car or living room furniture. But when you ask that to God, you functionally think you are God. That God has to meet your standards? I think you got the formula wrong, sister. It's not how it works. When you say, I could never believe in a God who fill in the blank. Well, listen, the character of God's not up for a vote. He is who he is. And the issue, Simon, has never been, does he meet your standards? The issue has always been, do you meet his? And the, go ahead. That's awesome. 
the sooner we realize that we don't meet his standards because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, amen? The sooner you realize that, then your heart can move from skepticism to surrender. And then you can find yourself at Jesus' feet simply praising him for his amazing grace. And man, I'm praying that there's some Simons in the room that go from skeptic to surrendered today. But Simon's not just judging Jesus. He's also judging this woman, isn't he? I mean, you can kind of hear it in the tone of what he says. Look back at verse 39. If this man were a prophet, he would know what? What would he know? He would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. And he's got no idea who she is. In other words, he's making a statement of her identity. Here's what he's asking. Who would want a rose like that? Who would, who would let her touch your feet? Oh. Friend, I don't know what you're going to get out of today, but I hope you'll get this out of the day. Notice it on the screen. Simon sees her through the eyes of the law, not through the eyes of the Lord. I mean, some of us have got to wake up here. We look at people through the eyes of our own law rather than the eyes of Jesus. We look at people through, well, what political party do they belong to? What's their skin color? Do they have the proper manners? Uh, do they meet my standards? You're Simon judging other people, viewing them through the eyes of your law. It's why you get so hacked off at the lady at the coffee shop because she didn't make your coffee right. Why? Because you see her, but you don't see her. It's why you go crazy when the waiter doesn't bring your food on time because even though you see him, you don't see him. You see him through the eyes of your law, which is your daily agenda, rather than through the eyes of the Lord. That's a human being created in the image of God. Who cares that my coffee wasn't right? We have got to stop seeing people through the eyes of our law and start seeing them through the eyes of the Lord. Amen? We have got to stop being judgmental people. Now, I know you want to jump on that and say amen because our culture loves that statement. In fact, it has been said that John 3.16 is no longer the most quoted verse. Uh, Judge not lest ye be judged is the most quoted verse. People love to play that card. So why don't we just take a moment while we're talking about this and define what it is and what it's not. What does it mean to judge others and what does it not mean? Jot this down. This is going to be important. Number one, judging others is not, say not, calling out their sin. Hello? Jesus does that in this passage. He calls Pharisees whitewashed tombs, and he tells this woman what? Though your sins are many, Jesus, get, write this down, he's not ignoring the sin or afraid to call it out. The Bible talks about by your fruit you will be known. That, that's not what judging others means. Here's what judging others means. Judging others is declaring a final verdict over someone's life. 
It's like Simon here saying, I know this woman's identity and her destiny. But can I give you some good news this morning? Who might get fired up about some good news? You ready for some good news? Here's some good news. Pharisees don't have the final word over your life. Jesus does. Your college professor doesn't have the final word over your life. Your parents don't have the final word over your life. This pastor doesn't have the final word over your life. That belongs to the one and only judge, and his name is Jesus. Judging is not the, 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 the lack of calling out sin. Judging is declaring a verdict over someone's life when you don't know what their identity or destiny will be, but God does. And his word is final. That's freedom, isn't it? That's freedom. Some of you need to get out from under that bondage because you're accepting the verdicts of everybody else in your life rather than the only one that matters. So, so how am I doing with the text? C plus, all right? C plus, okay. Um, here's the text. Watch, watch, watch. Jesus receives all types of people. You see it? Like prostitutes and Pharisees. Simon only receives certain types of people if they meet his standards. You know, if, if I think Jesus is good enough, I'll call him a prophet, but we'll see. Ooh, look at her. Do you know who and what she is? What's the implication? Can a pastor speak into the church right now? If you're a guest or visitor, just listen as I speak a word into our faith family. Here it is. If we are going to be a church like Jesus, we must welcome all sinners without judgment. You going? It's like golf clap. If we're going to be a church like Jesus, we have to welcome all sinners without judgment. Here's what that means. Homosexuals are just as welcome here as heterosexuals. Prostitutes are just as welcome here as Pharisees. Rebels are just as welcome here as the self-righteous. Because we will not be a gospel-centered church until it is said of Berean, the same thing that was said in the church of Corinth, when Paul calls out sins like the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, swindlers, and then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. This is a grace parade and all sinners may join in. We must not be a Simon church. We must be a Jesus church. One that, yes, will call out sin, but will also love Sinners from all backgrounds. And while I'm on my soapbox, I'll give you another that will bring one more email this week of which I can go delete. <laughs> and I really say that sarcastically, all right? Evangelicalism, of which we are a part of, has done, by and large, a good job at calling out the sin. We have done, for the most part, a terrible job at serving sinners who are not like us. 
Jesus receives all types of people. Do you see it? Simon only receives certain types of people. Now, why would I say this is a gospel issue? I'm glad you asked. That's a great question that you're asking, by the way. And it fits perfectly at this point in my sermon to transition to point three. Namely, the gospel reveals the condition of all people. The gospel reveals the condition of all people. Man, this is so profound. Look at the story that Jesus tells in verse 40. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, what makes that phrase funny is if you go back a verse, it says that Simon said to himself, meaning Jesus hears your inside voice, all right? It's like, even when you think it's just between me and me, it's between you and God, whether you want it to be that way or not. Jesus hears what Simon says. He knows his heart. And uh, he goes, I want to tell you a story. I got something to tell you. And uh, he's like, all right, I love story time. Uh, tell me, teacher. And he goes, here it goes, 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Now, you need to underline this next phrase. When they could not pay. Let's all say that again together. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? We'll get to that question in just a moment. Jesus tells a story, very simple story, very short parable. Everybody can understand it. There's a guy lending money. Two, two people get money from him. One is in a debt of 500 denarii, the other is 50. A, a denarius was roughly a day's wage. So, I mean, we'll just call it a year and a half-ish. We'll round up to two months, okay? So, so that's the level of debt. Watch, watch, watch. The point is not how much debt they have, the point is, neither one of them can pay it. In other words, they're both in the same condition. They can't pay off their debt. They both will receive the same sentence. There's no bankruptcy back then, so they're both going to be headed to prison, except for the fact that they both need grace. That is somebody to step in and pay their debt. Are you ready for the point? I may come off this stage. You ready? <laughs> Prostitute sinners and Pharisee sinners are in the same spiritual condition. Their deeds may be different, but their inability to pay their debt is the same. That'll preach. Hey, Simon, I'll give you this. You ain't done what she's done. You don't have the past that she has. I'll give that to you, but you miss the entire point of the gospel, namely that the, the, the ground at the cross is level because everybody is in the same condition, namely you can't pay your sin debt. So why would you be judgmental to somebody who's in the same condition as you? What, do you realize how ridiculous it is to brag that you have a better disease than somebody else when both, <laughs> when both diseases are terminal? I mean, I just imagine that like hospital room picture. They both have different diseases, but they're both terminal. And one looking over and saying, ha ha, yours is worse than mine. Doesn't matter. You're both going to the same place. 
you're in the same terminal condition. Man, that is profound. Well, everything Jesus says is profound. But that is so profound. Why? Because it's at the heart of the gospel. Namely, that the gospel is declaring to us, everybody needs grace. Every one of us. Who cares that you haven't done what your neighbor has done? You're in the same condition that you can't pay your sin debt off just like they can't. But Jesus can. And Jesus has upon the cross. It means today, faith family, that whatever rebellion may be in your life, that it can be washed away. That the lies you've told about your past and the deception of being somebody that you're not, it too can be washed away. The hate and bitterness that you have towards other people, that it can be washed away. That whatever doubt there may be that God could ever love somebody like you, that can be washed away. The lust that you've had hidden from others, it can be washed away. I declare to you that Jesus has the authority to declare over your life your sins, though they are many, are forgiven. Just let that set in. All those nights spent with all those men. All those mornings you prayed never again. Your sins though they are many, are forgiven. What can wash away my sins? Say it with me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How beautiful is the gospel. Jesus receives all types of people. Simon receives only certain types of people. The gospel declares the condition of all people. And the last point, that means love must be the reception of forgiven people. Forgiven people receive with love. Look at the question Jesus asked, and we'll close with this, verse 42. At the end of telling this, this short little parable, when Jesus says they could not pay and he canceled their, uh, the debt of both, watch this question. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, well, you've judged rightly. And then look at what he says in verse 47. I tell you our sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she is loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. What's Jesus teaching there? It, again, is profound, isn't it? Here's what he's saying. Are you ready? There is a direct relationship between how much you love and how much you realize you've been forgiven. 
to say it a different way, when you realize how much God has forgiven you, you cannot help but love. You won't have a lot of time in life judging because you're going to spend all your time serving. In fact, isn't that the real difference between Simon and the woman? Simon's judging everybody in the room. Preach, preacher. She's serving Jesus. He's standing around criticizing everybody and everything. Can you believe who she is? Look at he's dressed. I would never do that. He's probably not even a prophet. And she's just on the ground in tears, washing feet. Might I be so bold as to say it this way? You and I will become the judgmental Pharisee when you forget you are the sinful woman. You know how you become a Simon? You forget you're her. To which some of you might say, if you'll pardon my language, but I'm using it intentionally because it is biblical language, some of you might say, how dare you call me a whore? I mean, I thought calling me a leper last week was bad enough. Like this is, this, I'm drawing the line. If you say that I'll become like him if I don't realize I'm like her, what you're essentially calling me, pastor, is a whore. Like them's fighting words. No, those are biblical words. Listen to how the Bible describes sin. One in the Old Testament, one in the New, and we close. Ezekiel 23 verse 19 says this about Israel's rebellion. Yahweh says, yet she increased her whoring, remembering the days of her youth when she played the whore in the land of Egypt. Why? Because Israel didn't love the Lord their God with all their heart. She chased after other gods. She chased after the lovers of Egypt. James says the same thing in the New Testament in James 4.4. 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What's the, how is the Bible, not me, how is the Bible describing our sin? It describes it this way. You and I have cheated on Jesus numerous times when our heart has run after the lovers of the world. I want success. I want fame. I want family. I want all of these things more than Jesus. James says, you adulterous people. What are you saying? I'm saying this. We are the rose. This isn't hypothetical. This is us. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus loves the rose. Jesus wants the rose. Jesus forgave the rose. How? Because Jesus became the rose. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God.
Jesus knows much more than Kim, much more than the woman in Luke 7, and much more than any one of us today what it is like to be judged. He knows more than any of us what it's like to be touched by everybody in the city. He knows full well what it's like to have every eye stare at him and say, who'd want somebody like that? And yet, faith family, because he was judged in our place, the only judgment that matters in your life is this one. Your sins, though they are many, are forgiven. And all God's forgiven people said, amen. Let's pray together. God, oh, please, by your spirit, convict our hearts. If our hearts are far too much like Simon, convict us. We see people through the eyes of the law, our standards rather than the eyes of the Lord. God, I pray that we would remember how much we've been forgiven. That all of us, regardless of what we've done, we were in a condition where we couldn't pay our way out. But Jesus paid it all. And for that, we must be forever, eternally grateful. Well, what does that look like? It looks like this, love. Love. Because he or she that realizes they've been forgiven much will love much. So I pray that we would not be a Simon church, that we'd be a Jesus church. I pray that we would not be a room full of Simons, but that we would be people trying by your grace to image Jesus in the world. And there may be some in this room today that they're like that woman and they need declared over their life, your sins are forgiven. And this morning I pray that they would get on their knees and that they would believe in Jesus. As Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Oh, that that would happen today, that we might hear the final judgment of our life forgiven, redeemed, graced. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.